When we featured Folkstyle National Champion and Stanford University wrestler Dawson Sihavong as a rising star in the Lao American Sports Hall of Fame, it quickly became apparent that Dawson's journey to the top began a generation earlier in war-torn Laos. Nara Sihavong came to the United States as a refugee in 1978. A mere seven years later, he made history when in 1985 he joined the wrestling team at George Mason University and became the first known Lao American to compete at the NCAA Division I level. Nara would go on to have a successful career, founding companies and building philanthropy organizations, all while giving back to the sport that he loves. For over 30 years, Nara has helped a new generation of wrestlers achieve their dreams, including coaching his own son, Dawson. Thanks for coming on to the show. Obviously, I'm Cole, and that's my partner, John. And, uh, you know, we're excited to hear about your story. So especially, um, you know, what, 85 was when you started wrestling? Uh, that's when I graduated. I started wrestling uh, three and a half years prior to that, yeah. So you wrestled in high school? Yes. yes. Okay. Okay, 85 was, your, was the first collegiate year, though. Yes, 85 to 89 was when I was at uh, George Mason University in, in Fairfax, Virginia. Okay, yeah. we'll, get, we'll, let it, we'll get on that. Let me just do a quick intro to the show, and then we'll get rolling with the questions. I don't want you going too far ahead. So, okay, sounds good. All right, Thanks. hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of C4 Podcast, Southeast Asian Athlete Achievement Through Adversity. My name is Coach Andetka, and I'm here today with my co-host, John Messina. Uh, we have a very interesting guest on our podcast today. Um, as an athlete, uh, he's a wrestler, or he wrestled in high school in the 80s and, and in college. So uh, we don't hear of too many wrestlers you know, from, you know, our, our people, right? Lao people or Southeast Asians, we hear soccer, you know, soccer, tennis, stuff like that. But when you get into wrestling, um, that's definitely a different, uh, a different breed. So I'm going to let John introduce our guest and uh, take it from there. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Um, it's John Messina. Our guest today is Nara Sihavong. Nara, what's kind of exciting about you is through our intense research at the Lao American Sports Hall of Fame, we believe you are the first athlete of any kind from Laos to compete at the Division I level in any sport. So congratulations on that amazing accomplishment. Um, I know you're calling in from Hawaii today, so you got to be loving life over there. I did wear a tacky Hawaiian shirt just, just uh, for the interview today. So, um, okay. Yeah, but hey, we're excited to talk to you because your story is interesting. Um, you came to the United States uh, as a child, um, and it was really just a short time later that you were a Division One athlete. So we'd like to go ahead and start at the beginning. I know you, you, you were born in Laos, uh, Vingjung area. Um, tell us about life in Laos, your journey out and kind of landing in Hawaii. Sure, uh, well, thanks for having me on, John and Cole, and, um, and also um, inviting me to speak to you today, uh, as well as uh, doing a little write-up on my son, Dawson. Um, yeah, life in Laos, was, as I remembered, it was, was quite nice. Um, uh, we, 
lived in Vientiane. I was born there. And uh, actually, you know, because Laos was a French colony, uh, mm-hmm. our family were educated in the French school. Yeah. So I didn't even go to a, a Lao school. I taught myself to read and write uh, Lao and Thai um, years after, after actually I got to Hawaii. Um, so yeah, we, my dad didn't told my mother saying that, uh, if I don't come home one day, he was working on a national coalition government between the communist, the Royal government, the kingdom and the nationalists. But, uh, I guess things went sideways and, you know, my dad was a minister of finance up to that point for the country of Laos. He, he, uh, held a few prominent positions, but uh, he says, Hey, one day, if I, I don't come home, uh, take the kids across to our family in, in Nongkai. Um, so my mom did that, took us one by one. Um, you know, she was quite a, uh, a woman. I always tell people that, you know, I could never fill my mom's shoes. She raised six children. So we got to Nongkai. Uh, it just happens that her, her younger brother was working for USAID and he was in Hawaii. So he sponsored us to Hawaii. Uh, we were supposed to end up in Paris, uh, where my, most of my parents uh, and my dad's side of the family was there. So, but, you know, I felt that Hawaii, it was, it was the best place to um, because it's uh, multi-ethnic, uh, we we didn't uh, have a hard time assimilating in. Uh, made a lot of friends right away, uh, and and um, it was a great place to have you know grown up. Yeah, and I know in Hawaii, the Lao community there, because the climate's similar, right? There's a lot of farming. So for some people, it's a very similar lifestyle, right? That had come from Laos and were resettled there. My wife had some family that was resettled there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, a lot of successful um, Lao families got into farming. Um, in fact, uh, one of the Lao family here hold, I believe, the largest private farm on Oahu. Uh, they have over 2,500 acres of, uh, of land uh, that they farm. So what year did you guys land in Hawaii? Uh, we got here in 1978. Okay, and, uh, Okay. So yeah, you would have been in Nankai this probably the same time as my wife and her extended family. Um, you know, and a lot of our other guests were in same Nankai refugee camp at the 78, 9, 80, like that. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. Um, so, so you grew up in Hawaii. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how you got, uh, got into wrestling and how you ended up in Virginia. Oh yeah, exactly. Right. Hawaii all the way to Virginia was about 7,000 plus miles away as far as you can possibly go from one end of the country to the other. Um, yeah. But my mother, she, she, you know, she was always big in education. And uh, uh, back in then, of course, you know, my, my father was educated. He was sent to France to do his uh, economics um, at the HEC, which is kind of like the, the, I guess, the Harvard Business School equivalent of France. So she would say, look, you know, education, Hawaii, it was a bit tough trying to get away from also the uh, the bad crowd. I was I was having too much too much fun with my my friends that I grew up with. So uh, Grace was dropping, and she said, "You know, why don't you go and go live with Auntie for a while in in you know DC suburb?" So I I, I agreed to it. I went, and uh, she, she made a deal. Say, you know, you go for a year. If you don't like it, you come back. So I thought I thought it was a pretty fair deal. Um, you know, growing up in Hawaii, you try your hands at the different sports because of your friends that are doing it. You know, play basketball, play baseball. I actually love football. Um, but because, you know, my, both of my uncles fought professionally in uh, Muay Thai, they call it Muay Thai, but it's, it's in Laos. 
is a Moi Bolan, means ancient art of fighting, right? Moi Bolan. And so we, we learned that. And so being little, you get picked on a lot by the Polynesians. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you know, fighting in the, the, <laughs> the playground all the time because I was the eldest son. I got my youngest, younger siblings, three brothers. They, they were always being picked on. So I had to, to uh, be, the, be the one that take the brunt of the, the scraps. So, but it was good because we, we knew how to fight um, back then before all this big MMA stuff came out and no, no, kids at that age didn't really know how to fight at elementary level. So <laughs> it paid off. My, we, we had our own little uh, uh, Muay Thai club that my uncle uh, ran for myself, my, my brothers and our siblings and our cousins and we had a lot of kids. So, uh, so my mom sent me to uh, Virginia probably to just get a away from, from the crowd, but she understood that, you know, it's, they have a good education. Uh, Fairfax County uh, public school system was actually the, was the number one public school system in the country uh, and remains to be, in, I believe, in the top five. You know, you got Alexandria, you've got Laudan County. Um, they, they, they do a real good job there. So I, I, I went and just accidentally stumbled, um, played football there, and I was like, okay, this is a big man sport. So it was like, I just happened to cruise around the, the campus and peek my head into the wrestling room and the coaches invited me in and got me to try the sport uh, and I fell in love with it um, you know and it, it was one of those sports that's like I think uh, boxing or whatever you fight in your either age division or, or weight division I mean football basketball forget about us guys loud right? we, we're small you can get run over <laughs> so I felt it was it was it was also wrestling one of the toughest sports out there, it fit, fit well. I, I enjoyed the, the challenge. And uh, so my coaches were extremely encouraging and supportive. And, uh, you know, um, one of my key coaches, Steve Schreiber, he was the one who really got myself uh, trained better with the, the elite guys in the room. So um, I really fell in love with it uh, and kept, kept up uh, with, with wrestling throughout uh, high school. So what was it like? Cause I mean, you're, you, you have no parents there or anything. Um, you're, you're out there going to tournaments, winning matches, but did you really have any local support from any family? You know, that's a really good question. Um, uh, John, you know, during that time, Southeast Asians or even Asians as a whole sport wasn't something that is how, how do you say, um, favored, you know, they go, you go to school or you go to work or do both and you help out around the family. There's, there's no such thing as extracurricular <laughs> uh, sports or other, you know, going to the band and, and uh, all those things. I tried my hands luckily at, at all those different things, uh, much just because I was starting to become more Americanized and, um, and tried my hands at those things. But yes, I, I was there. I mean, my aunt, you know, was definitely not uh, a big sports person. So it, it was pretty much myself. I made a lot of great friends uh, on the team. Uh, support for my coaches and that was they really became my family uh, and to this day you know some of my teammates both from high school and college was, are still close uh, I'm still very close with them so uh, but yeah it was different I think we have two sides of it uh, one is that being new new arrivals uh, to the country um, the culture is in uh, big into organized sports right not even Laos I mean I don't know if they even had organized teams in soccer or whatnot. But in the US, uh, you know, I think our culture had to go through a, a process of assimilation. 
a process of experience in terms of um, the parents and younger parents, let's say in my generation, start to who, who actually did sport or who didn't have been around it long enough whereby then their children now are participating and they're okay with it because it became, it's part of the norm. But it wasn't the norm when, when I started, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, Ko, your experience was similar, right? Yeah, I mean, well, Nara's a little bit older than me. I do remember one time my brother, he got to play basketball. And I remember one time we were in our rooms and he was uh, packing his uniform to go to go away. And I remember asking him, it's like, is mom and dad going to go or can I go watch you? And he's just like, no, I'm just going with my team. You know, and I, I, I kind of, hmm, I kind of like, you know, I was like five years old then, right? So I had no understanding. I was like, why wouldn't, I'm, I'm innocent. I'm young and innocent, right? And I was like, why wouldn't mom and dad go and watch you play? I wanted to go watch you play. But in our family, sports wasn't a big deal. It was all about education. I, you know, I tried asking if I could play football, but they shot that down because I was too small. You know, you're too small, you're going to get hurt. And I didn't even like, I actually wanted to wrestle too. And would, which would have worked well because there's weight, you know, weight divisions. Right. But uh, it's just my older brother, he's, he's, uh, you know, <laughs> he told me these stories of like, you know, you, you want to roll around with these guys that don't, this is him saying like, this is how we were, this is how certain, you know, Laotians think, but. You want to roll around with a bunch of guys that don't even wash their uniforms, you know? And I'm like, I thought about that. I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that. But it's just his his train of thought, his reason for thinking, right? He wasn't even thinking about you could be good, you could be great, you could learn a lot, you can build physical strength and endurance. His was just like, man. You know, I don't, I don't know. I think he was a ladies' man or something growing up, so he didn't really care for sports. He was out there working and making money because uh, he was 18 years old. So he, I guess he didn't want to see me waste. According to him, it was a waste of time doing sports. So I, I didn't get much support from, you know, the parents or, or the older brother, older siblings. Yeah. What city did you grow up in? Uh, Elgin, Elgin, Illinois. Oh, okay. Great, great. Yeah, we we came here in '75, so we, we stayed in Lima, Western Ohio, for about a year, and then okay, '75 was Western Ohio, and '76 was Elgin. So a big, mm -hmm. we had a big wave of the oceans coming in around '78, '79. Yeah, I understand that Elgin had a, a big blog community there. My 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 first cousin lived there when she first moved uh, in Elgin. Yeah, you're you're like one of the you're I think one of the first uh, Laotians I've heard where where you're where you guys got to settle in Hawaii. That would have been an awesome place, yeah. because yeah, yeah, you know, like temperature wise and environment wise, it would have been very similar. You know, we came over here in '75, and the, within a month it started snowing, and you know, we were like, "What is this?" You know? Yeah. So, experiencing the snow was 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 a lot of fun. You know, I I moved from Hawaii. I'm still like to wear my surf shorts, my, my flip-flop. We call them flip-flop in Virginia, but in Hawaii, we call them slippers. And yeah. I, I run outside. It was I first, first snow probably like in November in, in D.C. Yes. And I'm out there 
my neighbor's probably thinking, who's this crazy kid, right? I was just fascinated by snow. Yeah. So, yeah. It was good. It's a good experience, but definitely Hawaii, Hawaii's home for me. You know, I love Hawaii and, uh, and the multicultural, the, we call it, there's a reason why we call it the Aloha State. It's the friendliest place on, probably on, on, on in the U.S. for sure. But it was, yeah. it was good. Made a lot of good friends. I've got friends that go back to elementary school. So we, and you're still there. You're still there right now, right? I moved back two years ago. Uh, I raised. I went to uh, California. Was there for 15 years. Raised my kids. Um, and you know, with Dawson, that's where he he went um, when he was about three and a half, and pretty much grew up in the California school system and wrestled okay. there. Yeah, but uh, and then once they went off to college, I I promised myself that I'd move back because you know this is home for me. Yeah, I, I love it. I've spent time on the Big Island. It's it's incredible. But you know, Nara, one thing that's really incredible about your story, because I think I told you my daughter's going to be a Division One athlete here this fall. Your son's a Division One athlete. It's not easy to get to that level, and you did it like in three and a half years. Um, and you know, how did you how did you get there? And tell us about your time at George Mason. You know, it's uh, uh, I was very lucky. Um, you know, my coach, we had a, a, a group of elite kids in the room, and he would take us to um, a lot of the tournaments off season. You know, you, you really basically got to wrestle all year round. And so I had a lot of catching up to do. Even back then, though, um, we didn't start uh, as early as, as things are now. Wrestling is a lot bigger than it used to be. Um, and, you know, women's wrestling, girls' wrestling is the fastest growing sports in the country. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, and more high schools are adding programs. They're adding state state sanctioned uh, tournament for the girls exclusively. Yep. Hawaii is one of the first who to have done that in 1998. And um, so yeah, back then it was it was just catching up. Uh, I think I was uh, decent enough. <laughs> where when I and then you know I was I loved the sport. I felt okay. It was it was good enough where I could continue to learn more and, and get better. So going to Mason was, was, uh, was nearby. So it was, it was good because it was uh, only 20 minutes from my high school and um, got to improve my skills and, uh, you know, made great friends, close friends. Uh, some of my best friends who I, I'm in touch with every day to today were my teammates. Um, so, yeah. And we had a young coach then and, um, he was really good. I mean, within a couple of years, you know, the, the team was the number one in the conference. Um, so I learned a lot from him as well. Yeah, so he was the one who really encouraged me. He asked me, so, you know, if you, you still enjoy the sport, you ought to try your hands at coaching. And I was like, really? Um, I, I, I went to the neighboring high school, like my senior year and stuff, help out here and there just to get a additional uh, workout when the team's traveling and stuff and I wasn't, um, I would go help out. So I kind of, I knew I liked it, helping out the, uh, the high school level. So when, when my coach sort of asked me about that, and I, yeah, you know, I'll give it a try. So my uh, athletic director at my high school offered me the head coach position when I got out of college. So I took it. Um, I, did, I wasn't teaching, so I worked outside. And that, of course, was difficult because the scheduling and all that um, and I was really young, you know, 22, 23 years old, uh, head coach at the, the program. And I did it for a couple of years and then I realized, okay, it's going to be too tough, but I still want to do it. I can be the assistant coach. 
and bring somebody else to run the head coach position, do all the paperwork and whatnot. And I just like to come and teach the technique and run the practice and go to the tournaments. So, so that's kind of, uh, I was able to manage to do that uh, continuously for the last 30 years. So it's, it's, it's been great. So that's, so that's the difference between head coach and assistant, how the head coach does the paperwork and the assistant really, really gets to do the fun stuff, huh? Yeah. The, I, in, yeah. You know, down, I was still competitive. I kept competing after college in like the open division and whatnot. So it's a uh, paperwork was something that I, I was, you know, wanting to do and having a full-time job outside made it even yeah. more difficult. So, but it, it, it was a good fit. Um, and I, um, kept, you know, being in a room and working out with the high school kids and competing on the side and what, and, and stuff. So, and, and being able to, you know, learn, learn from the other coaches too. I was always luckily was part of successful high school programs. Like in Virginia, you know, I, I coach at Woodson High and Annandale, Robinson, um, Lake Braddock. So those were, were the, the top programs in the region and learn from the older coaches who have been very successful and have been coaching for years in their late 50s and 60s. So that's, that's always been good. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So, yeah, you're trying to balance coaching and a career and you had quite a I know quite a business career. Tell us a little bit about some of your business and the companies you founded. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I was always at the entrepreneur's flair. You know, when my mom uh, came within two years in Hawaii, she started the first Thai restaurant in Hawaii. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and her best friend started another right after it. Back then, you know, Thai restaurant was not really uh, a thing. Um, fortunately, you know, her entrepreneurship kind of was built into us early. You know, I was her first dishwasher, right? My sister, younger sister was the, uh, the, the bus, bus girl and waitress. And my, my other older sister was her co-chef. So we all worked a family business and, and mom was back in Laos, you know, she ran 12 companies of our own family. Uh, wow. So she carried a lot of that entrepreneurship with her and she knew how to do business. And even though she didn't speak a word of English, you know, uh, but just people love Thai food. So she go, okay, I'll cook if they were willing to eat it and pay for it. So, um, and that restaurant was really, uh, you know, paid for a lot of our uh, upbringing and, and many things that helped us uh, uh, going to college and stuff. You know, all my siblings went to college with the exception of my older sister. She became a chef. But um, the entrepreneurship part, yeah, is the part that allowed me to, while working for uh, corporations, um, coming out of college, I, I did got, got a regular job, you know, with uh, insurance corporation initially doing the marketing part, and then I jumped to the telecommunication side. <clears throat> um, and uh, by 2000, I, I, I started my own company on the side, it's, a, it's an ISP it's still tied to telecom, but he was a small internet service provider in, in Honolulu. And that, that side business allowed me to keep growing. And by 2005, I had started a couple of companies and then I decided to go on my own. And I left Sprint, who I used to work for uh, back then and flew the coop, so to speak, and went and started my own international telecom company. And my first work was actually in Southeast Asia with the, in Laos, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, 
Philippines and such. Wow, that's that's exciting. So did you kind of help bring internet to Laos? Is that what you were doing? That was the idea. I mean, interestingly, in 2004, when I went there, first time I went to do, you know, to discuss the business opportunity was in 2002. But in 2004, Laos had a 35 megabit connection from Thailand into the country. 35 megabit for the whole country. Hmm. And I was proposing to the government to connect uh, via satellite, you know, from Hawaii all the way to Vientiane on 155 meg pipe. So of course for them, they were uh, basically, you know, um, they were very uh, welcoming. You know, they, they, they knew that I had knowledge and experience from the best of breed, you know, company. You know, the United States led the world in telecommunications and Sprint was AT&T, Verizon, right, um, was, was top of breed. And uh, I said, look, I, I, I can, bring this knowledge to you. I just need the force to work in partnership. So I was able to do business with the law government, the Thai companies, Cambodian companies and stuff. So it was good. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, this podcast focuses on sports and, and one of the reasons we wanted to also have you on is, you know, you've, you've been a coach for 30 years. You coached one wrestler in particular who I think our audience would love to hear about. And that's your son, Dawson. Tell us about how it was coaching him growing up and where he's at now and the great things he's done. Yeah, it was, you know, it's been a godsend, you know, to be able to have uh, spend that much time with my son. Um, he, hated, he actually didn't like wrestling. <laughs> and I, I, I was coaching in California that time. I was part of the state championship team, Clovis, and the dominant program going back for years. And then I just kind of let him do his thing. So by third grade, most of the kids start wrestling in like first grade, even kindergarten. And I said, look, son, you got to start, start wrestling. And he kind of went along with it. <laughs> and he hated it. Uh, he was just a happy-go-lucky kid, you know. But I, I, the, the key thing about, you know, coaching, which I actually learned a lot from my, my older coach who has successful sons, uh, like the Tiropelli family, you know, the three between the three brothers, they won eight state championships. You know, mm. uh, Adam, the older brother, was two-time uh, NCAA champ uh, from Illinois. In fact, Champaign, and um, and he and I coached together, Clovis. And so I learned a lot from Steve, his dad, uh, about okay, you know, what? How do you? How did you get your kids to be to that level? So he shared a lot of that with me on, on make sure that they have fun at that age. You know, they're not fighting for the national championship. They're just trying to find their bearings. Right. And uh, so groomed Dawson and, but I knew that he was behind and I converted my home garage into our, uh, our home gym, our wrestling room. And, and so he, he wrestled in the uh, local club, uh, elite club and he got the crap beat out of him every day, come home crying, but we would come home, do work on our own in the garage and by fifth grade you know he started in the middle of third grade by fifth grade he caught up to most of the best kids and by sixth grade he was the number one number two kid in the state for his age group and he managed to then he realized that okay he's good enough um and then we, we progressively jump levels right you, you work with him to to uh right size the expectations i guess maybe that's the best way to put it um and again i learned a lot from the other coaches and what did they do with the boys or girls and getting them to the high level? 
Um, not even just wrestling, you know, the sports too, because there's a lot of commonality. Uh, but uh, he, he was quite self-motivated once he realized that he can, you know, win championships and, and you know, sitting in the, at, at that level. I asked him, I think in eighth grade, you pretty much know, like, okay, this is the deciding point. Where do you want to go with this sport? And I go, either you just want to have fun with it, which is fine. Or if you want to do something greater, you have to decide what you really want to do so that way we can plan properly. And he told me he wanted to be a national champion. I kind of chuckled because, I mean, not the fact that we, we haven't coached, I haven't coached national champs or we were, you know, Clovis High School was a national champion in 2013, uh, five, five years after he started. But I, I kind of chuckled because I, I, I had to list out all these things that he had to commit to or need to know what to do what he needs to commit to in order to get to that level. And you may not become a national champion even if you want to. It's a great goal, but it's a goal that he has to own. Not, it's not my goal. And when he told me that, I was quite surprised, but I said, okay, all right. Uh, this, this is what, you, 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 what, what people do to get themselves uh, for that opportunity to become a national champion. Um, and he says, yeah, I'm ready to go. I go, okay, well, let's get to work then. <laughs> um, but, and, and, and so he, he did excel. We, we did a lot of things that are uh, on a national level. Start with regional level, then you go to national tournaments just to measure yourself uh, against the, the best case in the country and just see what you stack, stack up. And he, he, he did well uh, consistently. Got top eight, which is All-American status in, in the early years. So we knew that he was up there. So now it's just a matter of fine-tuning. Uh, but on the other side of it is... Um, we also always talked about education and because, uh, and I, you know, I would ask him whether he wants to wrestle in college and he's always told me, yes. I go, well, that, that being the case, then you have to be a straight, you know, a good student. I mean, not just a three, seven, three, eight, uh, that's, that's gotta be priority. Um, so there's a balance uh, on, on that side. Yeah. Um, fortunately he, he was, he was really easy to coach. Um, I mean, most of the elite kids are, for the most part, because they, they're self-driven. And as a coach, you're really there to mentor them and guide them in the right area. They, they will fall off track. Um, anyway, I fell off track many times. And, and so you learn and you kind of pull them back on track and, and, and get back on it and, and keep progressing. So... But uh, I mean, to my surprise, he was he was had had a really good high school career. Uh, you know, California has one one division, is one of the toughest state in the country for wrestling. Um, Twenty seven thousand boys wrestlers uh, across the state, one division. You only crown fourteen champs, one per weight class. So to place in the state of California is is quite a um, uh, an accomplishment, and to win the state is also top. I mean, on any given day, you take top even top five college coaches will come calling, right? They want to recruit these kids. Um, but outside of that, you know, coaches, especially if you want to wrestle division one, they're looking for um, what kind of tournaments you wrestled. I mean, they know what tournaments to go and recruit the kids from. So if you're not at those tournaments, you probably won't get noticed. Um, so we made sure we went to those tournaments, like the Ironman, you know, uh, Super 32, uh, Fargo, which is the toughest tournament in the country, and and be able to to do well at those tournaments. So we we, we train hard all year round for for those type of things.
while maintaining, you know, uh, uh, if it's too, yeah. So the, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a tricky thing, you know? But for me as a coach, I come to learn that I was really fortunate that I was able to wrestle and got, got scholarship to wrestle. And as a minority in this country, education is an equalizer. You know, it keeps you out of trouble. Sports keeps you out of trouble. Education helps you expand your mind. And, and then, you know, the kids can go, go off to school from doing sports and come home with a degree. Uh, not only he will help him or herself uh, as a person, but spread, you know, um, into the community, which is really important. You know, um, it's, it's statistically shown that you know, somebody who have done that, come back, is going to be a uh, contributor to society. So, um, and, you know, my parents weren't involved. But so what, what I, I try to help parents of a lot of the kids that I coach now is, especially the ones who are motivated and they're, they want to keep, you know, putting their kids into the elite level and say, you know, what, what is your long-term goal? But especially if they say, you know, of course, we would love to see our son or daughter wrestle in college. Uh, I, I like to um, help guide uh, them through the process because not everybody know that process. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have had experience with many uh, elite guys who I've coached who went off to wrestle in college on scholarships and now my son. And uh, um, so that's, 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 the, that's real important. Uh, besides, besides your son, did you along the way see an interest from other Asian, Southeast, Southeast Asian American kids that wanted to try out for wrestling? Maybe because they saw an Asian coach and they thought, well, if he's a coach, I want to, I want to give out wrestling a try. Did you get a lot of that or was it, how was that? I, I think it's always a plus for them. Um, the, you know, when I coach in Hawaii, obviously there's a lot of Asians naturally. I mean, at Punahou, I think 90% of the kids were Asians. But, um, but if you, like at Clovis uh, in California, um, there's also, it's 40, 47% Hispanics, Mexican. Um, but it, it's definitely a plus. You know, when, when an Asian kid see other Asian kids in the room and or a coach, uh, it gives them some level of, uh, let's say, comfort. Yeah, uh, but I, I still think that it comes down to the family culture because they would have to find their way to the room on their own. Uh, you know, we could do a better job, let's say, recruiting, um, you know, specific type of kids. Um, however, it's, it's more of a broad base. Like, let's say we did a, some recruitment at a program like Clovis or Buchanan where I went afterwards and then, then Bullard, where my son ended up finishing high school program with. Um, the broadcast to recruit kids was just broad, broad base, you know. And so, whoever feels the attraction to the sport, they'll come to the room. Yeah, I mean, but uh, like you said, you know, Cole, it's uh, being that it's weight base, and you know, being a, I was, I was the lightest weight class when I first started wrestling, and then I was probably three weight classes up after that by the time I graduated. But you know, it's a great sport for yeah. for someone who is small, especially because there's 14 weight classes in high school level, or there's 18 in middle school level. 
And in Clovis, they actually have elementary school um, divisions. So my son started wrestling on varsity in the fourth grade for his elementary school, which is fantastic, you know? How, how, when you were a wrestler, how did you deal um, with this is a, and that's a big thing in, in wrestling. How did you deal with cutting weight? And then when you became a coach, did you teach that differently? Because it, obviously it's not a very safe practice, right? You just want, they just want to get down the weight, make weight, weigh in, and then, you know. Yeah, that's a really good question. Back. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, misnomers in the sport of wrestling that people, it's just like you earlier talked about your brother saying, you know, you want to wrestle around with those guys who don't wash their clothes. That's really, it's education. Like everything, same thing. It's all about educating. The, the best programs, meaning that you have a really knowledgeable coach. Those coaches are extremely, they're like at expert level. They break everything down from being a good student and how to balance your time, how to balance your rest and recovery, how to balance family life, how to balance, uh, you know, training, recovery, what kind of training you should get depends on what goals you have for yourself. So, I mean, you know, the best coaches who have wrestled in college or even better, if you have like a, a world team member, a national champion from college, an Olympian in the room, I mean, they're all, their knowledge is just like wide range. You know, you've got wrestling coaches who never even wrestled in college. They might only wrestle one year in high school and they're in the room and they're, they're no fault to them. It's like in any sport. You, it's education. Like, you know, these, these high-level coaches, they had their degree in wrestling, right? If you have an eighth-degree black belt in karate or whatever, it's just there's just so much more knowledge behind that person compared to somebody who's just starting out. Like, when I started out, I mean, even though I wrestled in college, there was a lot of psychological part that I didn't understand as a coach that could have, like, motivated my kids better, right? But as I get older in my um, – as I got more experience in the years of coaching, you learn to become a psychologist. Uh, you learn how to, you know, they're saying, I always tell people, you know, the kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in wrestling, different, different size, different personality. And so you have to work with the kids one-on-one. -on -one. If one kid you see is struggling, you have to like work with that kid one-on-one. -on -one. Another is excelling. You have to work with that kid one on one. Depends on his or her goal. But um, but yeah, the misnomer on weight cutting goal is the is the fact that we don't call it cutting weight. We call it weight management. You know, uh, I mean, look, the MMA guys cut like 10, 15 pounds a night before they weigh in and they rehydrate. So in yeah. wrestling, we manage the weight. You know, if you got to cut one pounds, no big deal. Some kids will cut five pounds max. But now they have uh. Uh, rules you can't be you know less than seven percent body fat uh, from measurement that's that's the that's the bottom most bottom you can go in terms of resting otherwise mm. uh, you'll, you'll be breaking the, 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 the rules and even those who might be eight percent nine percent they still struggle they just don't know how to manage their their weight properly which a lot of it has to do with um, eating habits diet uh, and when do you start, when do you start, uh, you know, um, intaking food and what kind of food you should take in, cut out the junk food and all that stuff. So it's actually kind of good because it teaches uh, um, them to also become real good in, in, in staying healthy. Yeah. Well, I, I remember back in high school, I, 
you know, just as an as an outsider watching in, you see the wrestlers, they put on a ton of layer of of, of sweatshirts and, and, you know, sweating gear and they're out there, they're running in the sun and they're spitting into, you know, they're spitting into yeah. cops. It's just like, man, that's right. extreme for me. You know, it's like, extreme. Uh, if we don't do any of that, um, you really just work it off in the room. Uh, and, and, you know, by doing that, that's when you, you, you get better, in better shape. Yeah. You, you come off easier. I mean, the friction from wrestling and drilling with your partner is the best way to drop weight. Correct. It's called hydration cut. We, we basically, it's hydration cut. And it, you're not starving yourself. In fact, we encourage the kids to eat as often as possible. You eat, you, you gain energy, you can work out. You, you, the more you work out, the better shape you're in, the better shape you're in, the more competitive you are, the more competitive you are, the more success you're going to see on the map. So these are the type of things that, based on education, you do it right. And those guys who are spitting and sitting in the sauna room and all that stuff, they're doing it all wrong. And that's how they get hurt. And, and yeah. those are the stories that get out to the community and it hurts the sport because it's the ones that don't know how to do it right. It's hurting the sport and it's preventing parents to uh, send the kids out to, to wrestling. And in fact, it's one of the safest sports uh, around um, if, if you do it right. So like, you know, my, my college coach, Mike Moyer, he's, he's the executive director of National Wrestling Coaches Association. They have an awesome education program for those who are coaching and coach coaches uh, certification classes and stuff. So those who really want to push their coaching career forward, whether it's a career or they're just coaching, they, they can do an NWCA certification course. Um, and it's, it's, it's the education is there. Um, so the more knowledgeable the coach is, the, the better uh, program he or she is going to run. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, I, I see the same thing. I see the same thing in, uh, in, in bodybuilding. And it's like people think, you know, near the end, these guys are doing hours and hours of cardio and they're cutting their mm -hmm. carbs and, and, and they're miserable. But it's like you said, it's if there was weight management earlier, earlier in, in the preparation, you wouldn't have to be doing that. But unfortunately, that those are the ones that the public sees. You know, like as an outsider for wrestling, I saw, I had no education about it, but I saw the kids sitting in saunas and spitting in the cups, you know, but what, what you said makes perfect sense. It is, is it's, you're, you're having a game plan from way out when, and then you're just managing your weight and you're slowly, it's, it's a nice slow dip, right? Not a, whereas most people think it's this, but it's not, it's, it's very nice, slow and steady. Yeah. If, if you're weighing on a Friday for a big tournament, We'll start dropping, you know, managing weight starting Monday. Mm -hmm. You do it early. So you, let's say if you got to lose five pounds, you want to lose three pounds Monday, Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Then the fourth pound, Wednesday, Thursday. By Friday, you only have a pound to lose. You know, yeah. it's a big walk. You can literally come in and drill for 30 minutes and you'll drop half a pound, no problem. And uh, hygiene-wise, you know, we, we do not... Uh, you know, staph infection, ringworm, those are the type of things where it's like non-injury and you cannot wrestle. It's the worst way to sit out. So hygiene is super important. We tell the kids, you know, shower right away, make sure you, your, your stuff is clean. You do not want to be suffering from ringworm and not be able to wrestle for a week because you're not really injured. You have skin infection. And so for an elite wrestler to be sitting out on a ringworm, it's, it's the worst thing for them. They can't, they go crazy because <laughs> you're like, you're wrestling two hours a day and 
you're sitting around because you can't have any contact. So hygiene is super important. So all these personal um, development carry forth, you know, with them throughout, throughout their life, mm-hmm. whether they continue to wrestle in college or not, you know, uh, hopefully many of the wrestlers, uh, you know, take with them a, a very healthy lifestyle post-wrestling. Hey, John, did, did we ask him about his uh, collegiate record or high school record? Did, did we talk about that? No, well, go ahead, Nara. If you want to tell us, we're going to jump back a little bit. Yeah, what, what, maybe just tell us some of your accomplishments in college. Wrestling. You know, I, I, I started late. I'll be honest. I, I wasn't, you know, um, I didn't start until my junior year. And purely it's because I was able to at least finally break the lineup. I got beat up pretty bad for the first couple of years. Uh, basically just a, 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 a wrestling partner to the starters. And, but, you know, you learn a lot. You get tough. I mean, you know, um, and I, there were, my sophomore year, I remember had, had it, my, I injured my ankle and my, my uh, had a couple of injuries that stayed with me the whole time. Um, and I didn't, didn't start, had wrestled, you know, open tournaments and stuff with the team. Um, and then broke my hand, my wrist, my junior, then I was out. So my senior year, I pretty much told my coach, I said, look, um, I just, I just, you know, I'm semi-burnt out. And I know that they had brought in a three-time All-American from Blair. And he really was going to be their franchise guy. Coach he was very frank with me. He said, no, you know, we need you in the room. You're, you're the senior. We need for you to help uh, and groom, you know, the younger wrestlers. I said, hey, look, I'm fine with that. I'm happy to come practice, wrestle some open tournaments and get my college degree. And he goes, and he really appreciated that. And I was also very appreciative of the fact that he guided me and made sure that I still enjoy being in the room and know that I'm contributing to the team. Uh, um, so that, that was really the gist of my college career. Uh, I, I, I felt good, the fact that I stuck with it. And then he, he asked me, kind of like was the one who really encouraged me to coach. So he says, you know, if, if you feel like you still enjoy the sport and, and he, he says, I, I know that you can contribute and, and you know, pass on the knowledge to the other kids, you should coach. So that's, that's how it, it, um, it, it went. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. And well, in, in regards to your son, now we're switching the gears again. Um, he said his goal was to be a national champion. Seeing where he's at now versus when, versus when he told you in the beginning, how, how, what type of progress is, is he making? Do you see him? Uh, is that goal attainable in your eyes? He is a national champion, Co. already. Is he a national champion? Yeah. <laughs> Folk style. Oh, in high school. High school. Yeah. In, in college, um, you know, during the collegiate years, there's like a couple of things uh, you, can, you can do. One is uh, he, he wants to try and make the Olympic team, uh, like for, in Greco-Roman. There, there's an Olympic, Olympic style which is he's really a, a, a accomplished Greco-Roman style wrestler. And then there's freestyle. Those are the two Olympic styles. The, in, in the U.S., we wrestle what we call folk style. And folk style, you, you go through the NCAAs, right? trying to be an All-American, uh, or even a conference champion. Then you go to the NCAA, trying to be an All-American, national champion. On the other side, during off-season, all of the um, – most, you know, the, the collegiate guys trying to make the world team, for example, they compete in freestyle Greco and oh. trying to make the world team, trying to make the Olympic team for Team USA. 
so Dawson was the uh, on the Greco uh, Team USA Olympic Development Team. Uh, he he um, went his junior year at Fargo Nationals. He pretty much did fantastic. You know, he took third as a sophomore, so he already coming in his junior year, and everybody knew he was going to be dominant. So he kind of cruised to the finals and wrestled a really tough another Team California uh, teammate and. You know, somebody who has beaten, he has beaten three times. He was up four, four nothing after the first period. Going to the second period, I told him, look, you fell asleep. You thought that you had this match sealed up, but the other kid what wanted more. He came, he came storming back and beat you. But, but the top three guys in the country are automatically part of the U.S. Olympic development team. So he's, he, that was his aspiration, was trying to make the uh, U.S. Olympic team or U.S. sport team on the Greco side. Uh, in the meantime, you know, during the college season, you know, Stanford has uh, has done really well, um, albeit being a uh, you know a really good school. Um, for for the most part, you know, they they finished in the top twenty or top fifteen, and and I think a couple of, few years ago, three years ago, maybe like number eleven in the country. So for for Stanford, that's really really good. It's a it's a good room, you know, a lot of competitiveness. And they, they're trying to recruit the best of the best. Like Shane Griffith, who's a national champion for Stanford. You know, he was the number two, or I think he was the number two recruit in the country coming in and uh, the year before Dawson. And that year, I think Stanford um, nabbed two number twos. And then the, the, the year when Dawson came in, he was, he was top 15, you know, at the highest, he was ranked number 10, you know, in his weight class. So the recruitment, um, build a really good squad and in college wrestling is a whole different ball game <laughs> you know it's like you have grown men and they they beat up on each other really really good <laughs> and so it's, it's a it's an entirely different level where i i don't i can't profess to know um, you know at that level and then right now we have coach rob cole there who came from cornell he, he was very successful at cornell and uh, and you know short story a uh, year and a half ago, July, was it last year? <laughs> I forgot already. Was it three years ago? Anyway, yeah, yeah, it was July 2020. Stanford announced they were going to cut wrestling in 10 other sports. And so we, we went, we had a very tumultuous year. Uh, and, and immediately, you know, the, the team and the alumni banded together and said, no, we're going to save Stanford wrestling. It's a 160-year-old program. Um, and so we fought. Parents group came together and fought and was able to get Stanford to reverse their decision um, really at the very last hour in May of, of, the, of the next year, they ended up um, reinstating all 11 sports. So now Stanford still has a team, but they lost two years of recruitment. But this year now they, they, they will gain one back and then next year they'll have a full, full squad. So it's all good. Um, Dawson still has three years of eligibility left. So he's, He's um, trying to balance school and and um, and wrestling. It's two full time jobs. So just like I told him, look, I wrestled in college. I I at least I can tell you how tough it was. And and Stanford is even tougher. You know, he was a valedictorian, and he's like, this thing's kicking my butt. <laughs> like, okay, I I believe you. So yeah, it's a balance. And at the end of the day, I said, you know, son. Just be proud of the fact that you're there. You're at the one of the best university on the planet, and just focus on the important stuff. Uh, you know, 
he still enjoys, you know, being the leader in the room. Uh, his his coaches count on him to be the leader. Now he's a he's going to be a junior, so he's an upperclassman now, and he, the role changes a little bit, you know. Um, so he's got new 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 incoming freshmen coming in. So he's got three classes under him, and so he he has to uh, learn how to be a leader and contribute in different ways. Yeah, well, he's certainly. It helps. <laughs> yeah, he's certainly at one of the top schools. That's a great accomplishment to go to Stanford and be an athlete there. It was a tumultuous time during the pandemic for sports. We lived it too. Nara, my daughter, was going through the recruiting process at that time, and you didn't know what school might cut the sports because they were losing so much revenue from football and what have you. Uh, like, for example, she was in deep discussions, I'll say, with the University of <laughs> Iowa, and they cut yeah. their swim team. Right. And then so well, it's like, move on to the next one. Um, yeah. And and just and then they brought it back. But, you know, they they I think they lost most of the, the the top swimmers and all that. And so she found a home. But it was a really, really challenging time for a lot of uh, young people yeah. who were either at schools or trying to get recruited in these Olympic sports, especially. Yeah. So. Well, kudos to your daughter. Um, I know one of the things that you uh, had wondered about is you know, getting, competing at the elite level and then those who want to um, compete on, in, on the college level, not everyone's going to go there one for one scholarship or be recruited. A lot of them will be walking on. So there's different scenarios that, uh, that the, the kids will experience. But then, of course, you know, mom and dad are always involved because there's financial um, investment um, involved. So there's, there's a lot of things to plan for. Uh, and there's a method behind it. Those who uh, know the method it helps a lot, uh, but many parents don't. And I, I've thought about even putting together like a handbook, you know, so that way it's easier. I can hand them a handbook, say, okay, read up on this. It'll give you 90% of the information. Then the other 10%, we can work on it one-on-one. -on -one. I can guide you through and, and, and help you do what you need to do based on your your family's decision, you know, uh, because not every in wrestling, I think like one percent wrestlers actually wrestle in college throughout the country, and that's very small percentage. Yeah, that's incredible. Thanks for that advice. Well, we're we're about coming to the end of the interview. Um, you know, I know you're doing something else kind of exciting now with the foundation that you helped found. Maybe tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up. Yeah, it's, uh, I came home to Hawaii, and I felt that uh, community is really important to me. Um, you know, that saying, takes a village to raise a child. And I, I want to be able to contribute to building a village or helping the village. So communities would be for me. I, I built this foundation. It has eight pillars, and they all sync up together. You know, you're from, we're using farmland. So I was able to uh, um, working on acquiring about 70 acres of good land on Oahu. As you know, land is super expensive in the United States, especially in Hawaii. It's gorgeous. We want to do education, Hawaiian education, culture, farming, construction, health, uh, charter school, um, community uh, center, retreat center, and athletics. So they all sort of like link into each other um, and serve the, 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 the community um, in and around where, where, where the land is, but also have a program that actually pulled in folks from globally. So it's not religious based at all. It's, it's mostly, you know, community-based um, program. 
and it's called Law Foundation. It's the name. We're we're five hundred one c three, and yeah, we just two years into it. Uh, a couple of board members who are have started a very successful foundation sits on my board and got a lot of great advisors. Um, you know, it's on our website, CoalAllWarFoundation.org. But uh, yeah, it was my a dream of mine where outside of work, I would like, and, and even, you know, it's, I continue to coach, but I, I um, the community foundation is, is, is something that I, I dream of doing. And hopefully that there'll be, you know, I'll give up doing work in telecom space and then this will be my full-time job. Well, that's exciting that you're giving back and doing that. Some great, great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, anytime you're in Hawaii, look us up. We have a retreat center. We, we love to have both of you guys and even your family come stay. Yeah. I'd love to love to get back there, spend some time on the big island. Not a lot of time spent. Haven't spent a lot of time on Oahu, but it's a beautiful mm-hmm. place. And hopefully we get there someday. For sure. Well, great. Well, I think that wraps up the interview. Nara, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I think uh, what you guys are doing is fantastic, you know, especially for the Lao American kids. Um, hopefully, they're, they're, I always see, you know, many are uh, jumping on, uh, becoming a, a fan of the page. Um, we do the same thing in wrestling community. There's a site called Wrestlers Only. I think there's like almost 150,000, 200,000 followers now. But wow. hopefully what you do with your website, you know, you may provide resources, you know, uh, like I said, I want to put together a handbook uh, for uh, parents and families of elite athletes who may be to follow it and roadmap themselves towards how do you get scholarship, you know, how do you train, how do you balance uh, you know, family life, uh, uh, school and athletics. Yeah. So these are the type of things I didn't have. I, I was very lucky that my, my coach who adopted me, so to speak, and his family really became my family. And he wrestled in college. So I learned a lot from him. And that's the reason why I was able to achieve what I achieved. So I think we need to pass on the knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, yes, kudos to what you're doing here. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly what we're trying to do with the with the Hall of Fame and with the page. And we're not up to 150 or 200,000 followers like you you said one, the wrestling page is. But maybe one day, go one we'll get there. <laughs> so. Well, All right, well, this is Coach Andetka with my co-host, John Messina. If you guys haven't already, please like, share, or follow our page. And if any of you know of anyone that would be a great subject uh, for our podcast, uh, please send us a message. All right, Nara, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Aloha, guys. The C4 Podcast is brought to you by the Lao American Sports Hall of Fame. Visit us on the web at laoamericansports.com, celebrating the first, inspiring the next.